And now, ladies and gentlemen, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. Down the Garden Path, where each week we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down to Earth Landscape Design. And with me, I think, is my co-host and co-author who's having a little bit of technical difficulties, but hello, Matthew. Hello, Joanne, perilously across Zoom on this wintry night. And hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And as March arrives this week, and we feel we might start to feel a little spring in the air, we realize we've turned a corner away from winter, except for tonight, because it's certainly a wintry night out there. Um, so, and at the same time, we prepare ourselves for the one more uh, blast that we know Mother Nature will throw our way in the month of March. So, many people are thinking about things that are they're going to be doing it coming up in this month. So if you have a question about March in the garden or something that you uh, want to do in the garden now or uh, in-house in gardening, um, please write to us at downthegardenpathpodcast at hotmail.com. And don't forget to stick around to the end of the show for our new Stepping Stone segment, where we answer more listener questions and give you timely tips for your garden and landscapes. So we, like we mentioned earlier this year, right, Matt, we are reinstituting our uh, month in the garden. So we're going to chat about March tonight. That's right. All the fun, amazing things that we can do in March. I think probably the one that's on everybody's mind, I know it's on my mind as they wait many orders arriving, uh, starting some themes. Uh, so starting some seeds, we're bringing out our bulbs. Remember, we're talking March in the garden. So despite if you're under this huge uh, system that we have moving through, don't let it scare you away. Warmer weather is coming, but there are lots of things we're going to do as we warm up. So like starting our seeds, or if you've got overwintering cannas and pellas, uh, there's lots of things that we can be starting to plant up and uh, get growing for the coming season. I talked about last week, I had grown uh, some peanuts, and I've got some dandelions growing, and some other cuttings for my pelargoniums, my geraniums. So I've already got a lot of little things underway. Remember, it's still a little early, depending on what you want to plant uh, for this coming season. You don't have to jump on it as early as I am. I am jumping the gun somewhat for sure, uh, but I am just testing a few of my older seeds and trying to scratch that green garden, get out there, warmer weather itch. I'm sure we're all getting. What about you, Joanne? Have you started or bought any seeds for, for this year? 
I'm trying not to start um, too early. So I have set up my whole little kind of seed uh, light growing station, um, as I mentioned last week on the show. And I'm just trying to decide on what that I what to grow. So I've been, um, I kind of think I, I want, I'm intending to start onions, but I haven't done so yet. And um, I was going to try winter sowing, which I mentioned on a past show. But uh, family members keep tossing those little lettuce things that I keep putting putting aside for that reason. So I don't have anything uh, right now for some winter sowing. Um, But I'm going to, um, so I'm looking at things like that I can tuck in um, my my perennial garden. And I've actually taken two uh, landscape design, uh, landscape Ontario courses last week about uh, vegetables and fruit in the garden. Um, So I've got some good ideas there. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking of definitely onions and leeks, things that just really grow kind of in the soil and, and have foliage that you wouldn't really stand out too much in, in my, um, front garden because all my garden is in the front yard. So that makes it a little trickier, um, and that, you know, I still do want it to look good. So, so yeah, so I'm working my way through thinking about which, uh, seeds I want to buy. It is tricky though. It's overwhelming. I wonder how our listeners feel about trying to pick seeds because when you go to those seeds, whether it's a seed catalog, I know I have one here that I received in the mail, um, OSC. Um, And then you also, yeah, you also, um, when you go to the stands at the grocery store, the other big box stores, uh, it's overwhelming. There's just so many options. So I think Really, it's reading the package. I know we talk about in our book, and uh, our book on March in the Garden, we really suggest that you uh, look at the seed packages, read the dates, read how long things um, take to germinate, and uh, what the dates are from the last frost, that type of thing, and, and how quickly things can um, mature. So you can sometimes do quite a bit of succession planting. And that was something that came up in one of my classes uh, last week was that you could really, uh, if you plan, you could keep, you know, a steady, uh, a steady uh, cons- uh, stream of vegetables ripening uh, throughout the summer if you just plan for it. Um, so, yeah, so that's something to definitely think about when it comes to seeds. Yeah, staging. Yeah, staging all of those vegetables so you have that constant crop, for sure. Yeah, so if you think if you have something that's 50 days from now, like a quick lettuce or a cool season something, you plant it this week, give it a week or a week and a half, and you'll constantly have it every so many days, for sure. That's great for your sprouts or your microgreens, staging that crop so you've always got uh, that constant influx of things. That's what I like about indeterminate tomatoes when I grow my cherry tomatoes is because determinant grows to a certain size flowers and then everything appears all at once. Whereas your indeterminant, they always send out little trusses. So you've got all these different stages of tomatoes growing and ripening and growing and ripening. So that's why I like indeterminate tomatoes a little bit more so than the, uh, the bigger beefsteak or heirloom determinant type. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing was uh, to look when you're trying to decide on which seeds to purchase, they recommended, you know, really looking at disease resistance 
and or award-winning seeds. Like sometimes, especially in the catalogs, they may say that, you know, this is an award-winning variety. So those are all goods good things to look for and helps you narrow down which uh, which varieties for you to try. Um, and keeping in mind too, especially if you've got restricted space, uh, you know, early things that you can plant and, and harvest like lettuce, radishes and spinach, and then mid-season things like beets and beans and peppers and potatoes and some tomatoes. And then you've got the later things like more tomatoes, cucumbers, turnips and broccoli and cauliflower. So you can really, uh, really kind of plan that not just on what you want to grow, but when you want to have food available. Uh, that can definitely go a long way in um, helping you choose what you want to do. Uh, so those are some of the things that I learned in the class I took last week, uh, for sure. And we do have a couple of uh, listener questions. So Eric is saying, uh, wow, with this weather in the GTA, it makes us not want to think about what to do in the garden in March. You're right, Eric. Unfortunately, the weather did not cooperate with our <laughs> planned show tonight. So I agree with you. So the last thing um, we want to think about is getting out into the garden on a night like tonight. So, uh, yeah, I totally agree. Um, Darlene has a question for you about peanuts, Matt. So Matt, regarding the peanuts that you are growing, are they just the type of quote unquote shelled peanuts like you buy in a grocery store or a different variety? Thanks. They're going to be a, a different variety. Not that you couldn't grow that one, Darlene, but the ones that you do grow or you buy in, in the grocery stores tend to be treated or salted or roasted. Um, so as long as they're untreated, they're uncooked, uh, and assuming they're viable, my um, peanuts were, were just literally came to me in a shell, and just like eating a peanut, I cracked them open. I leave the tunic on them, that little papery um, shell around them, that little soft paper around them, and with the pointy side, I literally just push them into the, into the earth so that it's down to my first knuckle, and uh, away they grow. But yeah, so... Basically, just watch. You do want to buy peanuts um, that are meant for planting because they generally haven't been treated. And you can buy just the normal shelling peanut, just a classic shelling peanut. Um, Joanne, you mentioned OSC's Ontario Seed Company. Uh, they definitely have just a plain classic shelling peanut. Uh, I've got some of those. The one that I'm growing, if our listeners want to Google the Ecuadorian striped peanut um, that's wow. the one that I'm growing. It's kind of a white peanut with purple lines on it. So it's really interesting when you open up the shell. But they're really easy to grow. And you just need lots of full sun. They feel like evenly moist. They don't like to dry out. And uh, they'll continue to flower. So there's lots of different ones that are out there. I recently saw as well, Darlene, one that when you open it, it's a jet black tunic around the peanut, which is very interesting and decorative mixed in and among something like my striped one or uh, just a plain one. Um, so, so, Matt, I yeah. think she's also wondering, like, do they grow in the shell? Like, so are you harvesting shells and then you oh. open them and there's a peanut? Yeah, yeah, no, good question. Thank you. Um, yeah, so you can grow them just in the shell. Uh, you can just plant them in the little shell because, you know, we get sometimes we get little one or two of them. You can, they will grow through. Am I having a difficulty? No, no, what you're what do you harvest? Oh, oh yeah. So you do harvest like a, a peanut shell, yeah. 
So okay. they'll grow. You can plant them with the peanut gel or open them. But then when the flowers spike, so what the flowers do is they call peg. They're called pegging. And the pegging, will the ovary grows on a spike and sticks it underground. And then a shell slowly grows over the season. So when you open a bag of uh, peanut shells, that's literally what you're getting with that handful of shells that you have to crack open and the peanuts are inside. That's what you're harvesting. So at the end of the 120 days, you'll dig up your peanut plant, which is about eight inches tall and about a foot wide. And you'll find that in the soil are a bunch of nice ripe uh, peanut shells. They're nice and soft. And they usually need about two to three weeks of curing in just an open, well-ventilated space to just dry out and become what we classically see as our peanut shell or our peanut. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I did find them on page 30, 31 of the Ontario Seed Company um, book. And uh, yeah, and it, they are Picard seeds because there there is a Picard um, peanuts in Niagara region here. And uh, so these uh, these seeds come from there as well. So that is interesting. So this variety is called Valencia uh, and uh, Darlene. And uh, they, yeah, 120 days. And yes, you can grow your own peanuts. So uh, interesting, interesting. Um, and uh, Olivia, you were asking if we can use seeds from last year. So usually you can. I would check your seed package. Usually there's an expiry date. You might not have um, the same am- amount of success. Matt's nodding or not. not you can nod since we can hardly hear you, but uh, you can nod. But yeah, so sometimes <laughs> you might have, um, you know, not all seeds, even, even if you bought them this year, not all seeds are going to germinate. There's a certain percentage that will germinate. So the longer you have them, you might have the less, the, you know, a little bit less um, success, correct? Yeah, that's right. Usually the seeds will all have a, a, life, a shelf life of number of years, depending on the species. Um, a number of seed companies have told me in the past, they're usually up to about two to three years before they really start to lose any viability. And that's, that's why I was just testing some of my seeds early, is because, Olivia, they are old seeds. So I bought my striped peanuts a couple of years ago and I had still some left over and I'd used the other ones or eaten some of the other ones and had some new ones, but I wanted to test some of my old ones. So I think I planted about nine of them and one of them didn't come up after this being the third, beginning of the third year that I had it. So yeah, depending on the species, they may lose some viability, but like Joanne said, they'll, a number of them will come up and eventually they will slowly go away. Eventually you'll just lose some of the viability. And again, totally dependent on species. Some are two to three years. Some have been known to hold a high percentage of uh, their um, viability up to 10 years or more, but it yeah. really comes down to who, what you're going to say. Yeah, exactly. Your question. Always just give it a try. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have them, there's mm-hmm. my, no, you know, you sh- should try them, right? There's no harm in trying them. Um, and Ron has asked a great question, which I'm so glad because this is one of the big things we want to talk about for the month of March. Sharon is saying, um, as soon as the weather breaks here in the GTA and the ground starts to stof- soften up a bit, can we clean up our flower beds in March? Not our lawns. Thank you. So, Ron, I'm going to say, suggest no i mean we don't know what march will bring for sure 
Um, but I want you to think about, you know, that I think we need to change our mindset like we do in the fall. We need to change our mindset about uh, about cleaning up in the spring and think about the pollinators and think about. Um, so, yes, you're going to see a lot of woody hollow stems left over from your dead, per- like your, you know, last year's perennials and and different things. And but there's insects that have overwintered in there and a lot of insects overwintered actually even in the ground of the garden. So the more we go in early spring, you know, like March and, you know, stomp on that, on that soil or in that mulch and kind of disturb things or cut things back and, and put them in the brown bags, the more that we are potentially, you know, um, tossing or getting rid of pollinators that are sleeping because they're going to start to wake up dependent on the, um, overnight temperatures. So, you know, we could have a nice warm sunny day that might get to, let's say 70 degrees and you feel like getting out there and, uh, and cleaning up the garden, but yet at night, it's still pretty cool. And that was like the first warm day. So the insects and, and other pollinators are still all the beneficial insects that are still not really waking up yet. So I think it's really um, much like we were suggesting in the fall that we don't get out there and, and cut everything back right away in the fall to, to put the garden to bed. We leave those stems up and those branches and the debris in the garden and those piles of leaves so that insects have a place to, to winter. The same thing goes in the spring. We need to wait for the ground to warm up and the nighttime temperatures to warm up a little bit and uh, let those insects start to wake up. So I think you'll you'll start to see them flying around and you'll start to see, uh, you know, and it really just it depends on the temperature. So it could totally, by March 15th, who knows? It could be, we could be having nice 15, 16 degree uh, nights, right? But you never know. So I think it's, it's, we need to go by the nighttime temperatures more than we have to go by the month and the calendar, right, Matt? Yeah, it tends to be more of like a temperature, like you said, a consistent temperature of at least like 10 degrees Celsius, um, which I think is 60 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, before we start to see them starting to warm up and get enough energy and solar energy into them to start moving around and, and leaving that those places. And it's all programmed that way because at that point, we know that there's a certain amount of other development in the garden or out in nature for them to find food and um, other prey insects or and et cetera. So, yeah, leaving it, echoing what you just said, leaving it as, as long as you can, Ron. I know it's a good uh, itch to scratch and makes everything look pretty, uh, but there's definitely a purpose to still to all of that leaf litter, the dead stems, everybody's still hiding and asleep despite we us wanting to get out there and uh, do our thing. So we have another question. Loving everybody's question. Thank you so much for writing us here at Down the Garden Path podcast. Are you going to read uh, Tim's question? question. Yeah, or did you want to? Or I was, well, was going to jump into Tim? Yeah, I was just going to write him back and ask him if it was bare root. So you can read the question as I write Tim. So listen up because I'm writing you back as Matt reads your question. So Tim writes in and says, hello, I have an opportunity to get an apple tree from a friend of mine down in the southern United States. Uh, She can get it uh, for me up here in Canada over the next week. 
And I keep that in a root basket in my home until I can plant it in my yard. If so, what should I do besides water it? I have a nice tall warm room in my home to store it in. As soon as the ground is able to dig, should I plant it then or wait until another time in the spring or summer? Thank you. Uh, Joanne uh, just wrote out, um, just asking Tim there if it was uh, bare root or if it is potted in the soil and being kept outside. So if you could write us back, we could better answer uh, your questions for sure. But an, an excellent question, most certainly. Yeah, so Tim, we'll wait for um, you to answer that question. Um, and uh, Chris oh. is listening to us in Burlington, Ontario, Ontario, and he's saying that the weather here is horrendous. And it is here in Pickering as well, uh, uh, Chris. So uh, we definitely agree that we can be inspired by thinking about March in the Garden and start to think about the insects and uh and uh and grass growing and all those smells and the flowers you know the things starting to bud up and and stuff like that but it's hard to picture when you look at a day uh like tonight uh that is for sure um so matt i'm looking at what else we recommend in our uh, book for the month of march and i know often oh yes matt you've got a question no i was just gonna say tim just wrote us back and uh, Tim says that the tree is bare root. And so the tree is bare root. So, yeah. So, Tim, what you would want to do is basically keep it dormant. Keep it dormant. You can um, keep it closer to four degrees, three or four degrees. You don't have to have it frozen, but you do want to keep it nice and cool so that it doesn't wake up. And then as we start to get into warmer temperatures, uh, usually in late March, early April, we can pot it up and slowly work it to being outside that she, she, she can wake up and start to flower on time with everybody else so that she can take um, advantage of any of those pollinators. I'm assuming it's a fairly young, small tree. Um, I don't know how old it's going to be. We'll get a little bit of fruit on some uh, fruit trees that are about three to five years old. Not going to fully fruit out yet but you might get one or two here or there, but mm -hmm. keeping it dormant while she's bare root and then planting it out, whether it's in a pot or directly into that space when the soil is workable would be your best bet. That's right. So Tim, no bringing so it in you. the house and bringing it and making it warm and waking it up. So if she's got it in a box, you yeah. can kind of keep it in that box, keep it in the garage. Um, I think that's the only place to really kind of keep it at that temperature uh, right, Matt? We don't want it to freeze, um, but uh, we definitely want to keep it cool. Yeah, I would, yeah, in a, a garage where if it doesn't freeze, or if you have like a cold cellar or a cold space down in the, like a crawl space that does not freeze over winter, but that's very cool and stays nice and dark and, and dry. That would be best. Yes. Mm. Yep, and Bill's saying that we are the only thing keeping uh, him them warm tonight. So, and I even have I'm in my office on Zoom, and I actually have the heater going on in my office because it's actually cold in my office today. So, yeah, it's it's so uh, wintry outside that it's uh, wintry in my house too. Uh, so definitely uh, that if we were with you there, uh, Bill. Um, so one of the other things that often people. Uh, start to think about in March is their lawn. So I know 
Um, I know uh, someone had just said not their lawn. Yeah, Ron. Uh, but many people are keen to kind of get out there and do the aerating and do the, you know, the people come and knock on your door and want to aerate your lawn or the grass seed commercial start. I always say it's, you know, around the masters, which I think is always Mar- April anyway. But, you know, you start to see those grass seed commercials <laughs> and, and things like that. So really resist that. Resist the raking. That's another thing that you'll see if we get a nice warm day, you'll see somebody out there raking the thatch from their lawn. Um, and all you're really doing is, is, is getting rid of, yes, you're getting rid of that thatch, but the timing isn't great because now you're just all the weed seeds that might be left in that thatch from last year. You're now just planting it in your garden and your grass, right? And letting, giving it good contact with bare soil that you've just kind of cleaned up and uh, encouraging it to uh, weeds to grow. So really uh, no hurry with the lawn as well. Maybe depending on the temperatures uh, near the end of the month, you could maybe look at a, a slow release uh, fertilizer, Matt, we really like the organic ones from Fafard. Um, anything else you want to say on that topic? No, I, I think you got it. Yeah, remember uh, last year we put down our winter fertilizer end of October, somewhere in November, depending on where you are. That's going to be the food that is really waiting uh, for the warmer weather to finish melting and feeding our roots. And again, like Joanne said, don't disturb it. She's fed. Um, by disturbing it, she just kind of take down her defenses. We're going to just wait until we start to see some good growth. And we usually start our spring around May, uh, our May fertilizer. So it can be an anxious thing to get ready, but mm-hmm. you know, you've already set her up for success last fall already. So she's just waiting for the warmer days and a little bit of growth. That's right. That's right. So the one thing, if you do want to do something in your garden, and it kind of goes along with the fruit trees or any other um, plants that might have, you might have had maybe noticed some disease or some insect damage last year, is March can be the perfect month for dormant spray. So keep an eye on the temperature. And you can apply dormant spray to your trees and shrubs when the temperature is about five degrees. Um, So especially fruit trees. So dormant spray can be applied to fruit trees and other specimens with pest and disease issues. There is a very specific time. So you want to make sure it's not too windy and that the temperature is appropriate. And they will, I mean, specifically uh, the the bad insects. I know we want to protect the good insects, but the the bad insects that might be damaging your fruit trees or some of your ornamental trees. Now is the time that basically it's an oil uh, combined with a sulfur that that really um, smothers the insects. So it's it's not a chemical. That's why you see you can still eat the fruit. Uh, you know, if you've got issues with, let's say, even early things like magnolias, if you've noticed different issues, it's not going to damage the bloom. It's just going to go after those insects. But again, it's it's a safer product in the sense of, uh, uh, you know, it's not a chemical. It's not like a malathion or something that's been banned. But it's just a way to get those insects that are just waking up and still kind of in the in the trees, right, and in the wood. Uh, it's a good way to deal with them. Um, you need a hose stand sprayer. And you can find the kits that mix the dormant oil and the lime sulfur. And then they kind of give you all the instructions at a garden center or a big box store near you. So look for dormant uh, spray. 
kit. And that is something we can do in March. So, uh, so yeah, I feel like March, we tend to talk about all the things you can't do, but there are some things you can do. So, uh, yeah. So Matt, did you want me to read the, um, our half hour break? Uh, now that it's half an hour into the show. <laughs> yes, do it. I, yes, I'm going to let you do it. Cause I normally do it. And I thought that this bad connection. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we that's the challenge with doing it on Zoom is we're kind of uh, at Zoom's mercy and we've had pretty good luck, um, but not tonight. <laughs> so uh, so I'm just pulling up our show notes and uh, it is half an hour through our show. So I thought we would t- mention where you can find us as uh, so I accidentally closed it. So now I'm opening it. <laughs> um, do, 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 do. So thank you for joining us here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew, I'm Joanne Shaw and with my co-host on his phone, uh, Matthew Dressing, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. We really enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week, bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn a right, right along with you from our research and from the guests that join us on the show. So you can always spend more time with us on Down the Garden Path. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Down the Garden Path Podcast. You can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button so you'll be notified of new content. And we'd love you to please like, share, or leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. You can always rate us here at the studio at instudio101 at gmail or at Down the Garden Path podcast um, at uh, hotmail.com. So Joanne and I, or Matt and I, (laughs) are available on our websites as well. And we do have a Facebook group. So we'd love for you to join us there. I know you've been emailing us a lot of questions and memes and jokes, which we love. But we'd love for you to also uh, send those uh, messages and those questions to us, especially as we ramp up for the season. Uh, Just look for Down the Garden Path podcast on Facebook. And we would love to answer those questions for you there. So then that way we're answering them once and everybody gets to know uh, the answers. So I think we think that is a great place for you to uh, interact with us in a place where we're trying to be there a little bit more and we'd love to hear from you. So once again, thank you for joining us here on uh, Down the Garden Path. And we are talking March in the Garden. So if you have any other questions about March in the Garden, we'd love to hear it from you. Well, Ken is written in, and Ken says, Hi, Joe and Matt. I can still prune now, correct? I live in northern Ontario. So I think um, we were talking about, again, in March, March being a good time to prune some of our larger, more mature, deciduous summer flowering shrubs. I think the one that comes into mind uh, is usually our uh, panicle hydrangea, our hydrangea, um, paniculata. So yeah, including some Japanese maples, um, some of our larger shrubs, we can prune them going into late winter or early spring. Some of them that are a little bit more tender. I mean, I know, Ken, you're for probably further northern, and that's in northern Ontario. Um, so your winter starts, or sorry, your winter ends a little uh, later than ours. 
But yeah, some of the more tender stuff we want to watch as well, just to make sure we don't prune it. I think of things like caryopteris just off the top of my head, uh, where we don't want a uh, the threat of frost or a really good cold snap still to come in um, after we prune it. So we want to make sure that all of that's passed before we get in there in our late winter and late spring. But definitely we can uh, do some pruning for sure. We don't want to prune things like our spruces and our pines or our maples as we start to see some sap movement. So we want to make sure that we're doing it in the winter and in the cold. Um, That can be very dangerous and open some wounds for us to lose that vital energy, but also allows pathogens to start to attack our trees and shrubs as well. So then I would make sure I would just take a look at what you have in the garden. Maybe you want to send us a list. We can uh, help advise there if you would like. Uh, but yeah, just making sure you know what's in your garden before you, you start pruning. Usually there's the rule kind of, you know, you prune it immediately after um, it flowers or depending on, again, what species or what use you have it in the garden as well before you're, you're pruning. So you're not really pruning your um, you know, spring stuff in spring. You're going to let it flower and then you're going to prune afterwards so that it can recover, set bud, etc. Things like lilacs and magnolias or, or shrubs like that. Yeah, you can definitely do some pruning most certainly, most certainly. But it's always advisable just to be sure you know who you're pruning before you cut measure. That's right. Like cut one kind of idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you things like, um, I, I always think of things like you said, the paniculata, pen, limelight, like limelight hydrangea, things that are getting phantom that are getting big and you want to control the size, but but things like lilac or forsythia, things that are going to bloom first this spring, we don't want to be, now is not the time to prune those. Um, those you want to prune after they bloom. So you definitely have to know what you're pruning. Honeysuckle, there's some other really early bloomers that you don't want to prune in March, but now is the perfect time. Uh, I know I want to trim out, trim down some of my uh, limelight hydrangeas. And uh, it's a perfect time. And that's a time where I tell my my clients to do too. It's a good idea to wait until the ground is still uh, frozen and hard, that you're not compressing like wet soil um, when you walk in there and, and need to and need to prune it. So you definitely want to prune, um, you know, any branches that are crossing, any, um, you know, a third of them, like, you know, you want to cut some of them, let's say a third really low and, and especially clean up things that are crossing. Um, and then you can still leave some that are a little bit longer. So maybe you're only cutting a third of those off. And then on the rest, maybe you're just trimming the, the spent flowers off. So you really have a mix. So you, your shrub will be full from the inside all the way out. That is a tendency where people will think that pruning is just really um, rounding the shrub and just cutting off the edges or taking a, you know, like a hedge trimmer and, and shaping it into a ball. Well, that's really not what we want to do. We really want to encourage blooms and green leaves to grow all the way through the shrub so that's something to think about that you want to make sure you're cutting inside Um, same with the annabelle hydrangeas which tend to be really floppy and that's one of the things that people um, really don't like about them and they're always wondering why and it really is if you cut them all the way back to the ground and they've got all that new growth in the spring that then can't support the large blooms. So again, you don't want to, you can go in and, and do some cleaning up of cross branches, uh, that type of thing. But you definitely want to re, I think of it as almost like 
leaving the the thicker stems too, like the thicker wood as the structure. So you don't want to be cutting those too too much. Like third year wood, you want to keep longer, and they then it's almost like it's its own peony cage, right? Like instead of having to, you see, so many of our clients say that, oh well, I keep it up because I put a whoops, I put a peony cage on my hydrangeas. Well, we really want the the hydrangeas and the shrubs to kind of take care of themselves. So it really is important to uh, trim it properly and so that you don't have to add anything artificial and tie it up and and just adds to the maintenance. You know, we're all about low maintenance, easy, easy gardening here on down the garden path. And we don't want to make more work. And I know I've tried it where I've tried to weave those hydrangea bushes through a peony cage. And it's hard enough to weave a peony through a peony cage, let alone hydrangeas with the harder wood. So, uh, so definitely, um, you know, we want to keep things simple. So it comes down to trimming the right way at the right time. And uh, that's something. And the reason we want to do it in March for the hydrangeas, specifically for hydrangeas, but, you know, some of the wajilias, some of the other shrubs um, is because we want to do it before they start budding so that you don't delay. Like, because you, yes, you could trim them back in June. Yes, if you wanted to, or May, if you wanted to. But then you have the risk of potentially delaying the blooms. So by doing it in March, before they've really started, the leaf buds have really started getting going that's why we want to do it. So we want to get, it's like kind of a perfect window, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Going back to the, the hydrangea, the Annabelle hydrangea, you know, those older stems actually have a nice exfoliating bark when you leave them uh, to do their thing. So it's uh, quite pretty. So you're missing out on some nice winter interest with them as well. Uh, speaking of pruning, uh, Jody has written in, hi, Joanne and Matt, I'm pruning my snow. And uh, she's got a picture of someone shoveling some snow, shaping her way out of her garden. <laughs> so thank That's you funny. For that, Judy. <laughs> that is funny. Um, Ray has also written in, um, can I start strawberries now in my home or too early? Thank you. Thank you for the question, right? Um, you know what? I have alpine strawberries. Yellow Wonder is the variety that I often like uh, to start. And strawberries do sometimes take a very long time um, to mature. I've seen some that you need to start in like the end of January so that they're of an age or of a maturity that they can actually start producing strawberries for you. So you can definitely start them in your home now as well. I'm about to start some of my yellow wonders. I find that they start to germinate. They get so much of a crown. They kind of stall when they're young and then they continue to grow uh, some roots. They, they get some strength and then they continue to grow. But I find that my uh, alpines just continue to give me sweet candy-like berries um, just all summer long and starting earlier because I was able to start them inside versus, you know, four weeks before I'm going to put them outside kind of thing. So, yeah, enjoy them. Um, they're usually pretty small to start. And uh, with some good lighting, you can uh, get a little bit of flower inside before you have to put them outside. So, uh, definitely, what kind are you going to grow, Ray, if I don't mind, uh, ask, if you don't mind my asking? <laughs> be interested <laughs> to see what you're growing as well. Yeah. And I'm just looking at Ontario uh, seed um, uh, companies website or book. And they're saying that uh, they agree with you that strawberries can be hard to get tricky to germinate and that they need some stra cold stratification. So uh, placing the seed packet in a sealed plastic bag and freeze it for three to four weeks. 
so remove it from the sealed container, but do not open it for 24 hours until it has room to uh, warm to room temperature. Seeds will then be ready to sow. So, um, so yeah, so that is a great uh, tip. Um, heating mats or could be a possibility or fluorescent lights could help with that because soil temperature is important there too. So, uh, so yeah, so germination can be slow, taking anywhere from 10 days to six weeks. So very interesting. I wonder if, do you think the garden centers will have uh, early, have something like strawberries? Like they tend to bring in the herbs really early, Matt, for, for that you can, you can start to get the plant already growing. Uh, would they bring in strawberry plants so we could, we could kind of just move along? Yeah, yeah. They'll often um, bring in some ever-bearing strawberries. So you've got your June type that grow up bloom. They give you a flush of uh, June-ready berries or June-July berries to eat. But then you have the ever-bearing types as well that continuously flower and berry and flushes. So you'll usually see some ever-bearing types as well as some June-berry types or some pine-berry type strawberries with the garden center with their herbs, um, depending again on, on their availability and uh, the growers, what stage they are. But yeah, when the herbs start to arrive, I've often seen a very small offering of some ever-bearing uh, strawberries for sure. For sure. Just about the strawberries as well. Um, my alpine ones, um, going to the stratification, I haven't had to stratify mine in the past. So I would also just read, yeah, double check your... Um, your seed package on that one as well. And it might just be, um, again, the type my alpine versus like an ever-bearing bearing type as well. So, yeah, very cool. So for those of you who don't know stratification, is that period of cold weather or cold, moist weather in which we may not even need a, like a certain freeze, uh, but we need a period at a certain temperature at a certain moisture at a certain time for those uh, seeds to finish their biological or enzymatic processes inside the seed so that they can form. So it's kind of like vernalization. If we go back to our like magnolias and lilacs, the buds are set in the fall, but they need that vernalization, that number of weeks of cold period for the enzymes and the biological processes inside the buds to finish forming. That cold plays a part in, in that biological process so that they can finish up, fatten up, and then as they warm again, they get that signal to continue on and, and grow on. So, yeah, so definitely. So take a look at your, your seed packages, but uh, very, very cool that uh, everybody's growing some different stuff. Uh, Edward written in as well. Hi to Joanne and Matt, writing in to you again. I can actually dig into my yard here in Canada. Can I plant a broadleaf evergreen shrub now? Yeah, you know what, uh, Edward, when it does come to tree and shrubs, they're very versatile. So you can plant uh, trees and shrubs now as long as you can work the garden. I have done the same thing. I've planted trees and shrubs and bulbs in, in January because the soil was workable, but also in mid-March because, again, it was workable. I could get so far in and plant them. Definitely, if you can work on it, we always, again, just advise, you know, be careful. Um, you know, if the soil is workable, it's moist. So, again, stepping on it compresses the air and the pores in the soil, you know, uh, adding to compaction and damaging nearby root systems or cutting them or breaking them. But, yeah, if you've got a spot and you're, you're ready to go, you, you can definitely do it now. It won't 
prevent it from living. But again, um, we always recommend just kind of waiting, waiting. Give it that time to let the soil dry out a little bit before you dig and let everybody escape from that area who might be hanging out. Mm. Hopefully that answers your question there, Edward. That's right. Um, I think with the weather the way it is, and it's supposed to be in the G, so I know our listeners are all over the world, but uh, for those in the GTA or even in the upstate New York that might also be receiving the storm um, with quite a bit of snow, and and they're saying that by morning, it's actually going to turn into ice. So that's something uh, that we do talk about also in our book, but something to think about is making sure, check on your evergreens. Like, you know, we're talking about whether it's your boxwoods, your yews, your cedars, um, any hedges you might have. And really you might have to, you know, go out and maybe with a rake or or a broom and just knock off some of the ice, knock off some of the snow, especially like I think of my, uh, my garden is bordered by a yew hedge. So I've got quite a bit of snow on that yew hedge and I haven't gotten out there yet. Every time I walk to the car with a whole bunch of stuff in my hands, I'm like, oh yeah, I got to take the snow off my head. Well, now more snow is going to be on the hedge and then ice. So the the challenge there is it's not going to necessarily kill your evergreens, but if they separate a good amount, especially I'm thinking like cedar, like upright ones like cedars and junipers, they don't usually bounce back. Um, you and like use, I can then trim down my hedge and you can trim down your boxwoods if there's a big gap and it will regrow. But some of the other, uh, evergreens, like the more upright ones, like cedars and junipers, if the ice pulls it down, very rarely do they kind of spring back and regrow, you know, you can, and if you trim it off, they're not going to regrow. So it, that is something, you know, sometimes we, when we were getting this every year, we were often talking to people about and kind of recommending using twine just to um, just to secure your branches for the winter so that uh, they didn't splay open. Um, the last few years, we really haven't had too, too much of an issue. Um, and we never know. They, they say it's, it could be freezing rain. And it could go right to rain and it's not an issue at all. So that's something to keep in mind. It depends on where you are in, in Ontario as well. I think um, above uh, Highway 7, you may get more ice. So that's something to think about that you might need to kind of putter out to your garden tomorrow uh, and uh, and take care of that just to, to look after your evergreens. I know I am really and, and also with my uh, my guys shovel the driveway, right? The snow gets piled on and the walkway gets piled on top of those hedges. So that is the downside. Uh, sometimes that they get a little bit abused and they usually bounce right back. But uh, that's something to think about, especially if it's going to be a lot of ice. Definitely agreed. Yeah, for sure. Make sure you've, especially if you've got things along just under the eaves or you know where, you know, you have some extra water that melts or creates some ice or some issues. For sure. For sure. Yes. Um, I think back to, as you were saying about the cedars and the junipers, yeah, you're right. They don't really like to bounce back too much. They tend to be multi-stemmed and they come out from the base. So those larger stems really just, they spray open and take some damage or stretch and they never really come back nicely either. So yeah, yeah, I agree completely. We've been lucky we don't have to deal with that lately. 
<laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. Um, so we're just at the last uh, 10 minutes or so of the show. And uh, we have been kind of promoting our little stepping stone segment, um, which it doesn't really apply because tonight has been all about giving you tips. But uh, we just have a few more things that we thought we'd pass on, uh, especially on days like today where you want to be doing something uh, or weeks like this week is going to be. Uh, so one of the things that pops into my mind is checking out your garden centers or even big box stores for in that dark back corner in the seasonal department you may find some bulbs from the fall that they still are trying to get rid of that are now reduced in price and you actually can kind of start creating a container that uh, you can plant those bulbs in a container um I, i don't know and matt keep them outside and move them outside soon so they get that I don't think they're going to get 10 weeks of cold, but they definitely get some cold. Um, Or if you have any that you didn't get around to planting in the fall, you can still take them out of the fridge, take them out of the garage, and you can start planting them up. Um, Or you can force them, right, inside as well. Or if you want to just bring them right inside and force them. Can they do that with ones that have been in the store? Can you force them inside? Yeah, you could definitely bring them out. Uh, or purchase them, bring them inside, and just like you said, you could layer them in a nice container and pop it outside, uh, or you can try forcing them inside as well. And yeah, now is the perfect time, as you remind me, I have some crocus sitting in uh, my refrigerator waiting ah. to be forced. It's time to pull those guys out and start them. So yeah, definitely take a look at, at some the bulbs out there. Take a look, make sure that they're not um, drying up or they're like very squishy. You want to make sure they're still nice and somewhat smooth and firm, uh, they're going to be the good ones. They may have desiccated out if they were uh, not in quite a, or if a warmer spot in, in the store. But uh, yeah, definitely take a look for them and definitely still have lots of opportunity to play with them as well. Yeah, it's just it's just a nice way to bring some spring, like to like get some early spring into your home or at your front stoop. And the other thing is, if you do have um, forsythia in your yard or in the neighbor's yard or pussy willow, or you know where they are, um, that they can be something that you can cut the branches. Remember, we said not no pruning them, but if you wanted to cut the branches and bring them inside. And put them in water and in the warm of your house, they will start to bloom. So you'd get some nice bright, you know, you know, me and yellow. So but still, when you're dying for some flowers, um, I'll even take yellow. So, uh, so yeah, so then you can force <laughs> some of those early branches in uh, and you get any branches if you can cut and bring in the house and you get some even if it's not a flower it's nice green uh growing in your uh, in your home so uh so those are my little tips as we start to wrap up the show um to you know just a way to get something going on in in the garden and bringing the, some of the outside in and uh and seeing what happens so i do have a neighbor they're new neighbors and i know they have a really big forsythia bush so i may need to have to like introduce myself to them uh and see if i can cut some of their forsythia and bring them in the house so uh yeah do you have any forsythia near you matt i do actually just next door and a little bit kind of hanging over by my car so actually just the other week um, I've already been out and I cut a nice little multi-branched, uh, multi-stemmed little uh, branch and brought it inside and she lit up yellow for probably about eight days. And uh, then she started to go and, and whatnot. But I just kept her uh, bright by the window and a little cup of water. 
just emptied the water, gave her um, a fresh cut, maybe I think about day six. And uh, she just performed. And it was just nice to see the sun rays beaming through the window and bouncing off of uh, the bright yellow bushy flowers of our forsythia. So yeah, it was a great hit. And like you said too, the like the willows uh, for sure. Uh, I have some willows over by a wild field by mine. I love going and grabbing just some willow stems. There's some pussy willows and some other different types of willows as well. So they've always got interesting different flowers and different buds and color stems. So lots to play with still. But if you've got some wild spaces, you can print it. That's right. Yeah. And the other thing that you can do to kind of get a jump start, um, another stepping stone idea in the garden uh, that you can do uh, to get a jump start on your spring garden is sweet potato vine. So I think we mentioned it last week as well. I have two. I think I'm going to start some more, though. Uh, you can you can the pot- sweet potatoes from the grocery store. What you do is you want to use the pointy side up. And you want to put, uh, find a glass, and I put um, toothpicks on the side midway uh, in the center of the uh, sweet potato, and then fill a glass with water and sink the sweet potato in water. And uh, I have it in front of the window. I think you can do it under grow lights too if you don't have a sunny window. And eventually you're going to get growth coming on the sides, little slips, they call them, coming out of the sides of the sweet potato. And then you can pot those up. And it's the same sweet potato, you know, the lime colored uh, or the green colored leaves of the annual that you buy from the from the garden center or the you see them in planters. So it's something that you can easily start uh, from home. And it's just with uh, something you might already have in your cupboard, uh, some sweet potatoes or buy them from the grocery store. Right? Yeah, well, we so, seem to, uh, we seem to really lost. There, there you go. Matt's back with us. He's back. <laughs> there I am. I'm back. <laughs> I was going to say, too, uh, speaking of seeds and uh, growing potatoes, we're also going to see some of our seed potatoes start to arrive in our garden centers as well. Some of our fingerlings or our Russian blues or Norlands. Uh, so there's lots of uh, potatoes. If you want to actually grow potatoes, it's something to keep an eye out for as well this spring coming up right now. Okay, so now's a good time to buy them, but then you're holding on to them before you can plant them this spring, right? Yes, yes. You do want to plant them out um, a couple of weeks before um, and after like a head, like we don't want to have a snow up here. But I right. planted them out two weeks before our last frost date to protect it in the ground. A little bit of cool won't hurt them as long as we don't get a nice solid freeze and then they'll start to pop up nice and green and thick fairly quickly. Yeah. yeah. And then just make sure you take a look too. You don't want, there's determinant potatoes and indeterminate potatoes as well. So there's some that are indeterminate where you have to hill and then the determinant type where you don't have to hill as well. So just oh, okay. keep an eye on that as well. So is that low maintenance or more maintenance with your potatoes? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like anything else, the, the most uh, popular varieties uh, do disappear quickly from the shelves. And when you're, you know, in the mid-May looking for, <laughs> looking for them and you can't find them. So that is something. So you can't plant them yet, but it is now a good time, like with many of the seeds, too. You do want to get out there and, and look for your varieties. Um, and so things like the potatoes and the onion sets, that type of thing. If you've got a specific thing you want to look for, then definitely keep an eye out. Uh, so that you can get a jump on things and then you have them when it comes time to start planting them. 
So we want to thank everybody for your questions today. It was a great show. We love doing our month in the gardens. We're sorry that not, that we have a little bit of uh, sound issues tonight, but we, uh, we we think we made it through okay. At least Gary says we did. So uh, we want to thank you. We're excited. <laughs> Next week, we're going to be talking about building a terrarium. So more indoor gardening uh, with Matt and I uh, next week on the show. And we're really looking forward to chatting about that. So I hope you will enjoy that topic about building a terrarium inside your home. And we want to thank you once again for listening to us here on Reality Radio 101. Thanks for joining us down the garden path. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your host, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing right here on Reality Radio 101.